Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus, otherwise known as Word Vomit. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, and Pretty Ugly. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, author of The Bourbon Books, which includes Dibs since September, and the recently released Move On Melinda. Joining us today is Jane Ward, author of In the Aftermath. Welcome, Jane, to Vox Vomitus. Thank you. you. It's great to be here. Thanks. So let's uh, have you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your recently released book. Okay. Well, um, I'm Jane Ward. Um, I'm currently living in Chicago, but I'm originally from Massachusetts. I've been writing stories since I was young. Um, Love to do it. I I was the kid in kindergarten who... um, the teacher had to send people after when I went to the restroom because I would disappear for 20 minutes just in my my little um, daydream mind. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time. And um, for a while, though, when I graduated from college, I worked in the food industry. So I've been a caterer. I've been a private events planner. I've been a baker. Um, food always shows up in my books in some way or other. And, um, I'm just really happy to be here tonight sharing this with all of you. I just, um, wrote this third book. It's called In the Aftermath and it's set, um, it begins in 2008, uh, when the financial crisis was just beginning to dawn on all of us across the country. And we were beginning to understand how rocky our financial underpinnings were. And that sort of sets the stage for, a husband and wife who own a bakery and they are at a point in their lives where they think things are going well, but they're really not. And, um, that's sort of where we start out. I will say this book had a couple things that Allison really loves and I really love in a book. So Allison, you're a foodie. Do you consider yeah. yourself a foodie? So I was just like, Oh, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, food bakery stuff in this. So I was like, Allison's going to love that. And then there was a hint of a mystery going on. Yes. And I was just like, I love a good mystery. I love a good mystery that takes place with a, maybe a tragic something or other happening at the yep. ocean. Yep. People who have read my books know that that's a common <laughs> thing. <laughs> Those are my things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this book was so realistic at times. Like for me, it was a little bit panic attack inducing mm-hmm. in a in a good way because I love and I love to panic. No. Was I'm like saying, you like the panic attack? I don't like to panic, but I like to I like to read books about real things yeah. and characters that are going through real things. And as somebody who owned a business in 2008 and mm-hmm. doesn't own that business anymore, uh I understand and could understand completely right. kind of the mentality of these characters. Right. And Especially, I will say, Jules, who is a little bit clueless about the real stakes of things. And I feel like that was me. Yeah. Way back then, I was like, I didn't realize the business was doing so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the way they've set things up in their bakery is that David, the husband, has been the financial guy. 
She's the baker working in the back and she's been perfectly happy for 11 years, just sort of sticking her hands in the dough and thinking about whatever she wants to think about when she's baking and has really no idea, not only not what's going on in the bakery, but what's going on in the country around her. She's just sort of oblivious. And it's a little bit of a communications issue between the two of them too, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to, to write about and, and mine. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was, and I, I really had this sense that I wanted to take what we were reading about in the headlines at the time and, and bring them to life and characters. And the good thing about books is if you are feeling that panic attack feeling, you can pick it up and you can read a little bit about it. And put it down. down yeah. And then you can go back to it and absorb yeah. more and put it down if you need to, which is a good thing. Exactly. About it. It's like when it's your business, you can't do that. You're just yeah. you're stuck right. in it. That's, um, that's one of the things that you handled so well because it isn't just, oh, it's their business. Because I think we've all read stories where there's this personal thing happening to this one particular person or couple or family, but there's this, this sense in the book early on where Jules talks to someone who's a business acquaintance and it's like, I'm sorry, but I have to lower our order because things aren't good for us either. And that's when you start getting the sense of, okay, this is a global thing. This is impacting everyone. No one's going to get out of this unscathed. And having lived through it, we know that. Right. To see it there, it just was so haunting and just so relatable there because it was like, oh yeah, it's, it's not just you. You can't just ask for help because no one's doing well right now. Right. And these were, I mean, those were tough years. They were, I mean, a lot of people lost their jobs. They lost their businesses. They lost their livelihoods and they had to find over the next few years had to find a new way to go forward. And, you know, out of, out of that sort of awful time came a lot of innovative ideas. So there's this whole cyclical thing going on too, where you realize that if you've lived through these sorts of things enough that, that people are innovative and they're creative and they think about ways to come through, but you don't necessarily know that when you're going, when you're in the middle of it. And I feel like we're all going through a similar thing right now. Um, I have, much like probably you being in the food industry, being a baker, things like that. Um, if you, I've always made my living doing something that is the first thing that people cut out of their lives when money's tight. So, uh, you know, I went to school for theater. People don't go to the theater when there's no money for tickets. Uh, the business I owned was a comic shop and antique bookstore the first thing people stop doing is spending a hundred dollars a week on comic books. I've also been, you know, a ballroom dance teacher. So uh, it's always something that is um, a luxury for people, something they look forward to, but it's the first thing that always goes. And these days, I mean, I still have a lot of people working either in the food industry, a lot of friends or adjacent sort of tourism types of things. And these have been really hard been hard 18 months plus for people who are trying to make their money from tourism and dining out and all of that it's really difficult so yeah it's hard to justify a 12 dollar cupcake yes yeah when you have to eat it in your car alone (laughs) but i want to say i mean i really think we're we're talking about the dark aspect but that's the sort of inciting incident but this is i think it's a really hopeful book and i just want to make sure that people sort of know that there is this spirit of people working through it's not about the suicide it's not about the um the 
inciting incident of the financial crash either. It's really about what people do in the aftermath of that. So hence the title. (laughs) Hence the title. You had a great title. Hence the title. And it's really even about families and family dynamics and having to reconsider how those go. There's a very interesting situation with the in-laws and jewels and how sometimes a tragedy changes those dynamics and sometimes for the better and sometimes not for the better. Um, So was, was any of that drawn from any of your own personal experience, that whole in-law situation? Um, You know, no, Um, I I hope none of my my in-laws are watching now thinking I'm going to spill any sort of beans, but I had the best in-laws. My, my parents and my husband's parents got along so well. It was, it was just kind of crazy. Wow. They went on vacations <laughs> together. I mean, they just loved oh, each I other. Love I, had, I had the best parents and, and in-laws that you could possibly imagine. Um, so none of it was taken from my life directly. It's, I think it's just a lot of, you know, what you, well, you know, you're both, you both write, you, you absorb things from other people or what you read or what you see what you overhear might not even be people, you know, but you just overhear or you watch dynamics and it's just more drawing from that. And, and make, then you fill it in and go up, up. making it all, up. making it all, up. Well, especially if you're running off to the bathroom in like first grade and kindergarten to go have your daydreams. I know. <laughs> I 20, and 20 minutes later, 20 yeah, minutes later, you were out. I was, I was wondering like, were you stealing the book with you? Because I was also the kid who, the secret well, bathroom reader. Yeah, no, because I I was the kid who so in high school we had zero period PE and I'm the kid who would shove the book under the shirt yeah. and stand there while the coach would take roll and then when the coach would go back inside everybody would go play their game and I'd sit down and be reading my book instead of running around like I okay. never you know I wasn't clever enough to figure out how to get <laughs> the books out of the classroom but I would just go and make things up but um, my daughter was big she would take books everywhere and she was pretty clever about doing that but not me I was just sort of going along I don't uh, know no, I was a big daydreamer too I, you know I and I still am like I think that's a huge part of my writing process mm-hmm. like my husband will just catch me like staring out the window for hours on end and he's like I thought you were writing and I'm like I am I am writing well you are you're thinking about your characters of your next book and you're you're visiting with them and you're letting them talk to you and it just sounds a little bit out there for most people listening into us but it's what happens I know like I, I feel I don't know what it's like for you but you know I live with my characters in my head usually for many months if not years before I have the courage to let them come out of my fingertips yeah yeah yeah. And I have to really know them before. And I'm sure you're the same way. I have to really know them before I can start writing about them. So they do yeah. spend a lot of time with me. And um, yeah, I just started, I've been working on a new project and sort of put it to the side for the past couple of months, but um, they've been starting to come back to me and I was like, oh, they're here again. <laughs> they're here. They like, do leave sometimes. It's like, but it's also kind of like, oh, I have to go into this space again where I'm not going to be much use to anybody. I'll probably be really crab- crabby and mean. Are you, are you a crabby mean writer? Well, like during, the, during the, like the, I don't want to, you know, when I have to stop doing it and get back into real life and you don't feel like doing it. It's like, mm. yeah. well, I know I was talking with a couple writer friends recently and we were both, 
we were all complaining that it feels like it takes so long to get into that writing groove. And when you have a limited chunk of time, by the time you're in the groove, that chunk of time has ended. And then you're like, ah, and then the next people you see, you probably will come across as snappish. and Right. Right. Because you're kind of coming out of one, you know, you're in this sort of dazed state. You're coming out of that going into, I remember when I wrote my first book, I my son was in kindergarten. He had just started kindergarten. I had like two and a half hours a day yeah. to write the book. So he would get on the bus to go to school. I would get inside and sit down and then I'd have to go out at 1130 and pick him up off the bus. And it was like, oh, I've got to transition, must transition. It was so hot. This is when I so say hot. thank you for full day kindergarten now, because this is my first year. My youngest is in kindergarten. And this is the first year I have all three of my children and they're all gone for from that's them off at eight to like picking them up at two, except yeah. for on Wednesdays when they're, they get picked up at noon. Yeah. And like the idea of my brain, not having to have little people and little voices for that chunk of time was like, right. wow. And I all of them on the same schedule. I, I know mean, this all is, of them, that is really. I'm only going to have that yeah. for this year and next year. And then we start multi-schools again and yeah. it's just going to get worse from there. <laughs> so just enjoy the next enjoy two years. Write everything school, you can. Junior high and elementary, it will. I don't know what I'm going to do then. Yeah, carpools. Yeah, carpools. Get you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah, you will. You will. But enjoy it while you can because it's it's pretty good. So Jane, you started writing in the aftermath in 2014 was it? I did. I started in 2014. Yep. So that's quite a long journey. Can you tell us a little bit of the highs and lows? Why it takes me so long? Why does what's <laughs> taking you so <laughs> long? So long. Um, you know, I I write longhand to begin with. Um, oh. then I have to type it, which I um I avoided learning how to type when I was younger because when I was going to school, I'm older than you guys are. But when I was going to school, the girls went to typing classes and the boys went to shop classes. And I didn't like that. I didn't think that was very fair. So I decided I just wasn't going to learn to type. And that was, it was a principled stand, but it was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. And I've never since really learned how to do it, but I type with four fingers now. So it's always okay, so when you were then in, did you just not take the class or you I, sat in the class and went, I'm not going to. Well, well, it was an elective, so I didn't have to take it, but everyone who took it, um, learned how to type. Yeah. I, they still offered, they offered typing in my high school and I didn't take it. Yeah. Because I remember telling my parents, I will never need to know how to type. Right. <laughs> and, and I thought I was going to be a writer. And I still thought. How did you I, think the book was going to get written then? I really I have, have someone who would do it for you. I thought, yeah, because I think I thought I was going to hand like bounds of paper that are tied with twine to someone. And they and would have the scroll? Yeah. And they would basically like un- unroll it or like brush the dust off. And yeah. make it a book. Like they, <laughs> that person would also do all of my editing. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that. I know it doesn't exist. But then I also thought I'm going to go to school for theater. I'm never going to need to know how to type. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true. And I remember my dad saying, "At one point in time, you're probably going to have to become a secretary." Because he was old fashioned, and, and I was like, like, "No, I'm, I'm never going to type now. Thanks never going to type now, ever, ever." And then when I did become an administrative assistant, I was terrible at it because I couldn't type 
And I typed very slowly and I couldn't take like memos and things like that. I was like, oh no. See, this is where I, this is where I laugh because we didn't have the same dichotomy. Typing was a separate elective you could take at some point, but it wasn't paired against anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, The woodshop dichotomy happened back in junior high and you could either do woodshop or drafting. And I'm like, I'm a klutz. I don't want to lose my fingers. Right. Sure. And then I got like a C minus in drafting because I also can't draw a straight line. So mm-hmm. I was going to be screwed either way, but I took typing in high school and I wasn't even all that good at it, but it just, it got in the proper, the proper formations right. learned. Right. And then I used it more and I used it in law school. And then by the time I came out of law school, I typed faster than most of my secretaries did. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave up giving them dictation because I'm like, you don't type as fast as I do. Why would I do this extra step? I'm just going to do this myself. I still have to look at the keyboard when I type. <laughs> do you really? Yes. Do too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah the, the, the pain is real. It's really hard. <laughs> I know. And I always feel bad. Like, I remember like work years, like somebody being like, oh, write this email for me. And I'm like, oh no, they're going to know that I can't do this. And they're standing right there behind me. Yes. I, I still have nightmares about that. I had one last night. <laughs> so Jane, okay, so you have to write it out longhand. I write it out longhand, although I'm getting a little better about, you know, starting at longhand and then working on the computer. But so okay. that's that's good. But I like that whole brain to paper thing still. Um, and then I have to go through and type it. So it takes me a while. Um, and then, you know, once I have a draft, it's, it's all good. Cause I like revision. I love revision. It's yeah. like putting puzzle pieces together and uh, I really enjoy that part of it. Um, but it's just getting there and it takes a while. And this book, um, I, I went through, I kind of hit a roadblock and then I added a character. And so it took a little Who did you add? Yeah. I added, um, Denise, the police detective. He was she not in the I can't even imagine the story without her. I know. Well, that's, I needed her. I really needed her. And I, I was stuck with, there was just information that needed to get out and I didn't have a way to get it out. And I needed somebody who could see the whole picture or who would be tenacious enough to look at that whole picture. Yeah. And she's the linchpin. If you don't really is. Yeah. And it's, it's always fun to get an info dump when somebody's discovering something. Which is, you know, why crime books and mystery novels work, because there's somebody looking for the information we as the reader need. Right, right. And I read a lot of mysteries. I I read a lot of mysteries when I'm working on my own stuff, because it's not really the same as what I'm doing. But then there always ends up being this sort of mystery aspect to something has to be figured out, which I guess is probably because I read so many of them. I I think it's fascinating. So when you're... Oh, sorry. Um, just one more quick question about the writing things out. Uh, when you go to the, t- the initial typing process, do you self edit then, or do you just strictly? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do because, um, what I've written has, is just so awful that I can't, <laughs> I can't just keep going. So I will, I will sort of edit, but I try to keep it to a minimum. I try not to do too much like content editing. Yes. Yeah. But structural editing, I just want to wait until. I've got something on the, on the page. Yeah. Well, and everybody's process for that is really different. Cause I know some people are like, don't edit as you go, just get a first draft out that, you know, we talk about the vomit draft and then go back. And I don't think I've ever been able to do that for me because part of my process always involves 
especially when I get to a stopping point because I'm, I'm a pantser and I joke, I'm a, I'm a discovery flashlight writer yep. that in order to get back into a story, when I've set it aside, I always start by like, I don't just start typing where I left off. I have to reread where I was. Right. And I almost always am fiddling with whatever I started reading right. and then start going from there. So everything it's like this, this braid and every part that goes forward whatever was before that gets twisted a little bit, twisted a little bit. Right. So by the time I get to the end, everything's been fiddled with. Right. And that's probably right. why there's the most errors at the end of the book, because I haven't been fiddling with it as much. Right. No, I totally agree with that. And I understand what you're saying. And I think that's part of, part of the journey that we're on as pantser writers is sort of figuring out what you're actually writing about. And it does have to kind of constantly get worse. It does. Especially when you're like, when you discover characters or you add a character or like, a character that you thought was a throwaway, all of a sudden you're like, uh oh, I switched to their point of view. Oops. <laughs> oh no, that's bad. What that's happens bad. now? And then I'm like, I don't know what happens now. Yeah. 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 It's all a discovery. <laughs> it's, it, which, is, which is what makes it really interesting for me because I never know from one day to the next where it's going to really go until I'm sort of in the groove of it. Then you sort of have an idea of where the characters are taking you, but until then. But there's always that fear, I think, with pantsers, because we're all pantsers here, that you're going to get to that roadblock and then you're going to go, I really have nothing. Yeah. And that's what always makes me think, gosh, if I had an outline and I knew what would happen, wouldn't, would that be easier? But then I don't think I, I could ever even write an outline. No, I can't either. What do you do when you get to that point? What do you I, do? I just stop for a little bit. Yeah. I just like let them, let the characters rest. Mm-hmm. And I just work on other stuff. Sometimes I accidentally start writing a new book. Yeah. Or I do a lot of like personal essays and little like flash fiction pieces okay. that just exist in a folder on my computer that will never go anywhere. But right. It's just like, oh, look, I can write. I wrote 700 words of this brilliant thing that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and then sometimes just doing things like that, it like works itself back into my novel, like just like one line. And I'll yeah. be like, oh my gosh, that's something my main character would say. Yeah. And then it I opens that, that door for you. It to opens the door. There. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you and just I, kind of take that time and let it percolate, which is nice too. Yes. Like I've recently taken, I took like about two months kind of off from my mm-hmm. work in progress. I've fiddled with it a little. I could say I poked at it with a stick. Mm-hmm. And, but like for the past like two weeks, I've been like, oh, oh, I know what's happening. I think I know what's happening Great. because I'm like almost at the end. And I was just like, I have an ending, but I don't know if it's a good ending. And I'm glad I took this time because it was not a good ending. (laughs) It was just an unrealistic slash ambiguous ending that I was like, Mm -hmm. no one's going to enjoy that. And neither do I. (laughs) So I just waited. And now I think I have my ending. Well, I think it really depends on, at least for me, where it is that I'm stuck. Because there have been times where I've gotten stuck and... I'm say two thirds to three quarters of the way. And I go, I know I need to get over this hump, but I don't know how to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. And I kind of know what it looks like on the other side, but I don't know how that happens. And then usually it just eventually comes to me. This is the way. And it ties things together in a way that I didn't see. And sometimes that just comes from rereading what I've done. Yeah. But right. It's also happened the other way where the roadblock happens fairly early. And the real, the reality, the reality is whatever I had to start, wasn't a strong enough starting point 
to really have me go, I'm not really invested in these people or in this, this world. And then I just set it aside. And if I decide to come back to it later, then maybe I will. But I know there was one that I started a year ago, Christmas and got about 12,000 words and just went, "Mm -mm, not not touching this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have something I was playing with and I'm about 10,000 words on and I'm like, is that a thing? I don't know. I'll just, sometimes I'll, it's just, I don't have enough there yet to know. And it might be something that I, when it comes to me, it'll go back in and I can bring it all together. But right now that's, that wasn't where I was. But I also know for me, sometimes it's an issue of outside circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm assuming if it takes you years to write a book, you were doing other things during this time, other than just like, all I do is write a book. Does anybody do that? Does anybody have the time to all they do is write a book? I mean, we have to eat and sleep and keep ourselves sane and sometimes fear other people. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. Uh, Life gets in the way sometimes. But um, yeah, you know, I just sort of, I do a combination of those things. I think I just will ask myself the question, what could happen next? Mm -hmm. And then just let it, then just let it sit, you know, and take multiple dog walks and think about what these dog, what these characters would do and don't give the dogs too much attention while I'm out on the walks, but, um, you know, see my characters, what they might do. And eventually I think your brain, brains are so interesting. I think brains are fascinating. If I knew enough about the way they work, it would be, um, really dangerous, but, um, I was going to say maybe helpful, it would be helpful, helpful, maybe dangerous, right? But I just think sometimes if you let it go, sometimes the pieces all just start to slot into place in your mind and you have it there all along, but you just don't know it. And there it is. I don't know. I think sometimes as writers, we're our own worst enemy because it gets in our head in a bad way. And then, Uh you know, I know Allison and I have had this conversation where you start comparing your work to others, which you should never do. And then you start thinking about the industry as a whole Mm -hmm. and, and what the industry wants at this moment in time, mm-hmm. even though your book that you're writing right now wouldn't see the light of day probably for another couple of years. And then we think, so if I'm, am I doing something the industry wants in two years? Let me get my crystal ball. Let me get my crystal ball. And then right. you just have to like, I think, trust yourself as the writer to tell the story you want to tell. Right. Right. And, and hope against hope that other people want to read it. Right. Well, I heard, um, I went, this was a number of years ago now, I think, um, after Gone Baby Gone came out, but before Mystic River, I went to hear Dennis Lehane speak at a library oh. and he was just talking about, I know he's, he was great. And he was talking about, um, being broke in Florida and he just started writing and he just wrote a story because he had, he had no television. He had, you know, he had no money, couldn't go out and do anything. So he just write it started writing these stories to entertain himself. And I think ultimately that's what we all do. I mean, we, like you say, we can't have a crystal ball. We don't know what the industry is going to want. Um, if we finish our stories, someone's going to read them or no one's going to read them. Who knows? Um, but if you, it's really a crapshoot, it, it, could, it could be like the most perfect, incredible concept, beautifully written mm-hmm. genius book. And it sells thousand copies yeah. if that yeah. or you know you know you never know what's going to kind of like hit in the zeitgeist and yeah. everyone is all of a sudden talking about blah 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 right. so i think at some level you just have to you have to write to entertain yourself first and hope for the best you know who knows Oops. okay so jane you had 
longhand, you type it in, and you're editing. Yep. How do we get from 2014 to then? Well, I finished it in 2019, so five years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long time. It was a, it was a lot of working out. There were a lot of characters, and adding this character, pulling all the threads together, and making it make sense actually took a long time. Once once I had all the pieces, so that took a long time, and giving it to beta readers in between, and you know, just I wouldn't give the whole thing to them. I would give people pieces. What do you think? So getting stuff back and forth took some time. And then we were in for the most of it. I wrote the most of it when we were in Switzerland between 2015 and 2018. And, um, you know, I was just sort of traveling and doing stuff that I wanted to do in between too. So no, you were in Switzerland it would be hard pressed for me to write anything if I was in Switzerland, I think. I would just be like, let's just be in Switzerland. Yeah. And you know, you want to, every once in a while you want to get out of Switzerland, beautiful country, but you want to get out and see other things. So I was doing some traveling too. And I, I like to travel. I like to do some travel writing and photography and things like that. So, you know, there were other things that were taking up my time, but um, I'm just imagining you going all through Europe, having bakery samples and going, this is for yeah. research for my book. So yeah, I well, there was some of that. There was some of that that went on. There was much baked goods being consumed while we were over there as well. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on. Life is just, you know, and once you get in a groove too, you want to stick with it, but then sometimes you're not in it. So you need a break. Is there is there a is there a source of your spite against cupcakeries? No, not really. I just <laughs> no. That was kind of a. I didn't I overly believe that. No. I love cupcakes and I love cake. I just really, you know, I just really needed to sort of pick up on what was the trends that were happening during those times. Because I think and that's about what she like, was doing everywhere, right? And what she was doing was so much different and what she ended up having to do because of circumstance. It was, just, it was nothing against cupcakes. Cause I love cake. I love any, I love it. Um, yeah, but for those who haven't read Jane starts out as a, basically a full service bakery doing all sorts of things. And then later on, she's kind of limited to be, I'm working at a cupcakery and she, she talks about it. Like it's this worst thing ever. And I'm going, cupcakes this sounds like a sweet deal yeah. well I think she's just not happy she's just yeah, not she's happy not. being there she's not happy with herself she's not and be happy about it yeah you know, it wasn't so much the cupcakes as much as it was everything else and um you know she's there she's doing this because her father-in-law bailed her out which was allegedly a good thing but she's then an indentured servant at that point yeah she really yeah. is she's, she's trying to work off the debt that she then owns owes him and you know, it just was not an enjoyable time. So I tried to make something as different as what she was doing before. Yeah. She had this amazing creative control. Yeah. And she got to like, you know, bake from her heart and discover things and do things. I have to wonder, um, are you a big fan of the Great British Baking Show? Do you watch that? You know, I really don't. And I I shouldn't even admit that because I know it's really popular. I'm but not I, even a foodie and I'm obsessed with it. I don't eat sweets. And my husband and I are <laughs> obsessed with the Great British Baking Show. We like scream at the TV like it's a sporting event. Yeah. My husband loves it. 
my, I have so many friends who love it and I shouldn't even admit this because they'll probably all shun me tomorrow, but I don't want, I just don't watch yeah. it. And I don't know if it's because I, I it's probably because it. you do bake. So you're I like, this is ridiculous. I did it bakery and I love British. I love everything British. I spent some time in England. I love their baked goods. I think they're wonderful. My grandmother was a British baker. I just, I don't know why it just doesn't click for me. I think it's because I've done the work and I just don't want to watch it as a competition. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No. And I, and I get, get that. that. And it's funny because I realized not that long ago that pretty much things that I have zero interest in in real life. If British people are talking about, yes. I want to watch I it. Love it. Great. I'll, watch, I'll watch Top Gear. I don't like cars. I don't yeah. like baking. I mean, I like eating it, but I don't get to eat it. But I like watching great British. Baking. I like watching it. But I will also say like, I don't watch Dancing with the Stars. Mm, and, you, and, right. I'm a, and I'm a professional ballroom right. dancer. Right. And people were always like, how do you not watch it? And I'm like, I just Easily. can't. I just can't. <laughs> Yeah. And it's nothing against the show. It's the same thing. Like I would see people dancing, like somebody would show me clips and I'm like, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But I just, it's the competition it's thing the that competition I never liked. Oh, I, think. Oh, I want it to be an art. Right. Right. I think so. I think that's it. I think it's the competition aspect of it. And I did it as work and, yeah. you know, I, I appreciate the- everything they're doing, but I just don't want to see it be a battle. Yeah. I mean, if, I there, if there was a, if there was a show called like the great novel write-off and it was just like a oh, bunch of so authors, in a, in, like, <laughs> locked in a cat. Oh. No, because like then it would turn months. into a murder mystery. Oh, we, we, it would. Very quickly. We'd all kill each other. We'd all kill each other. Or everybody would just die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> like mm-hmm. after a little while, it would just be, it would, it would go bad. Yep. I will say in there's so a, many ways it would just, just, mm-mm. But but I think the first half of it would be really boring because it would just be people like outlining or people long handwriting and then everything would break into clicks of pantsers and plotters. <laughs> and we'd all be really supportive at the beginning of everybody <laughs> happy and so, like lots and of hugging. Yeah, especially if there was like a reading segment where everybody had to like read a little bit from their work and then people would go like, Oh, that was better than mine. Like, bitch. Yeah. Uh, Laurie Schoenfeld says, yes, I love seeing everyone's art individually, not as a competition. Yes. I agree. I agree, Laurie. Good point. I don't know. It's just something to, to watch and celebrate. Yeah. I just watched the baking show because I love it when they say the word soggy bottom. <laughs> my husband loves tray bake. That's tray tray bake. bake. Oh my gosh. He's that... a chair. <laughs> we also like to, um, this has just been incorporated in our everyday life now we just describe flavors that don't go together where you're like you know what would make this cake better if it was lime rose water and cardamom (laughs) (laughs) it's so british like you know what this needs a little bit of rose water and um british i think my body wash was lime rose water and cardamom (laughs) (laughs) actually it was prosecco but that's fine (laughs) Not even kidding. It's it nice. Like body wash. That sounds it. delicious. It's purple. <laughs> Effervescent and bubbly. Yeah, and bubbly and amazing. So much. Yeah. So I love that we're going to end this on the words effervescent, bubbly, and amazing. Yeah. Jane, you've been all of those things. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and Allison, of course, you have as well. You are the Prosecco to my bourbon. Oh. <laughs> I love you too. You're wonderful. <laughs> We're like the odd couple, except we're both the odd one. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, we'd have to like fight it out. Like, no, I'm the weird one. No, I'm we, the weird we one. We just go through periods of who's more manic on any given hour, not even ever, any given day. Yeah, true. Yeah. Fact. That's a writing mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jane, thank you for being thank here. You very much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Everybody, check out Jane's book in the aftermath. It is. Uh, it's a beautiful cover. Also, like whoever just designed the interior is lovely too. Just like Mets. she's a great book designer. It's so. beautiful. It's Thank beautiful. Um, thank you, everybody, at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, which includes Roman Sirich and our producer, Pam Stack, our executive producer. Stay tuned next week for uh, the latest episode of Vox Vominus, where we have Amber Garza and her novel, Where I Left Her. I believe that's what it's called, Where I Left Her. Where I Left Her. <laughs> and Allison, your show, uh, To the Moon, Allison, yes. is when this week? It's going to be the 19th, so next Tuesday, 11 a.m. my time. So that's what, two your time? Two. One your time? Yeah. Two, I think. two Eastern, and I'll have David R. Slayton, author of White Trash Warlock and Trailer Park Trickster. Don't say that five times fast. I wouldn't be able to say it one time slow. So thank you for saying it nicely. (laughs) And everybody um, who's watching live, thank you all. If you're listening to this uh, on the audio or watching the replay, thank you all. And we'll see you next week.